0: Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Ross, today we're in week number four of our series on Calvinism versus Arminianism, and so we're working through TULIP. We covered total depravity in week two. We covered unlimited election in week three. Today we're going to do the L, and the L is going to stand for limited atonement. So a Calvinist believes in limited atonement, or they'll use, sometimes they'll use the word particular. Is that right? Particular atonement. Yeah. And for an Arminian, they're going to talk about it in terms of universal atonement. So before we even get into which one is which and what they believe, maybe we should just start and kind of back up and talk about what do we
1: mean when we say atonement? Yeah, that's a that's a great place to start, because it, that's not a word that everybody uses nowadays. We might talk about salvation or some other typical word, but atonement really is really, a a word that captures the whole idea of God's saving work for humanity—it's the central message of the Bible, really—and you see it all the way from Genesis through Revelation. Uh, it's basically we're talking about what God has done um, to reconcile people to Himself and how He's provided the means to do that. And so we talked again in in our uh, in the T that the uh, total depravity everybody is a sinner. Every human being is alienated from God and hostile to God under God's wrath. And we talked about being dead in sins. And and so atonement is necessary for humanity. And so how does God accomplish that? And and what are the, I guess, the steps or the dots to connect to really understand the nature of atonement when it comes to how people are saved?
0: Okay, so Ross, before we get into the specifics of a Calvinist viewpoint and an Arminian viewpoint, let's look at some just some general passages in the Bible that describe Christ's atonement so people can understand this. And if if people want more on this, by the way, we have an entire lesson on just the atonement in our Sisteo series. We'll put a link to that in the show notes below. But let's start, Ross, with 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19. It says, All this is from God. Who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Now, I don't hear the, I don't read the word atonement
1: anywhere in there. Where is that showing up? Right. So it's interesting because the word atonement is is really um, it's it's generated by a number of words in the New Testament that are the Greek language words, and the word atonement is an English word that means you know, at one, how does humanity become reconciled or at one with God? And so the idea of reconciliation that's here in Second Corinthians 5 is really the idea of atonement. How are we made right with, or how are we united with God in spite of our sin? And let me, I would just, I would point out that this is where, this is a, a good way to start because this shows that really both Calvinists and Arminians really do a uh, Believe in the work of Jesus Christ, and so the uh, the idea of the atonement is a common ground. Now we're going to see later that how the atonement is understood fully is not common ground, but the idea of atonement and that the idea that God has graciously taken the initiative, that Jesus Christ has made the perfect uh, sacrifice to to pay for our sins, that His atonement is of infinite value, that that He is the God Man who came into our world to die for us. These are all. Uh, biblical essentials and they do show the unity at at the most fundamental level between Calvinists and Arminians. We really believe what the Bible says about the need of the of the atonement and the role of Jesus and, and so much common ground there. In other words, you can't be a Christian, am I am
0: I getting this right, Ross? You can't be a Christian and not believe in the atonement. It is so central to biblical christianity that you really understand this fundamental concept.
1: Yeah, that's a great that's a great way to put it.
0: So a few more verses, 1 John 4:10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There it is, that word that that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins or Matthew 20:28, 20, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, Ross, even Jesus understood, obviously Jesus is God, and so Jesus understood that he was coming to the
1: earth to be that atoning sacrifice for our sins. Right, and so here we see that um, the common denominator in atonement is two things, the initiative of God to send the Son, and it's the work of Jesus on our behalf of his life-giving work, for us to provide a way for us to be ransomed or covered, our sins covered for us to be reconciled to
0: God. Okay, one more verse here, Matthew 26, 28, Jesus again saying, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so now here, Ross, he's connecting the idea of atonement in a New Testament sense to the idea of atonement in the Old Testament, which was connected into the the temple, the sacrificial system, and all the priests and everything that would happen in the Old Testament.
1: Right. The idea of a covenant. So God entered into covenant with Israel and blood was spilled, the blood of bulls and goats and so forth, to secure that covenant. Jesus says, I'm the ultimate sacrifice and my blood is spilled uh, to for you to enter into covenant with God.
0: Okay. So with all this in mind, the clear an important doctrine of the atonement that both Calvinists and Arminians would agree on in general terms, that how central this is to Christianity. The question is still here. Okay, so for whom did Jesus die on the cross to accomplish this atonement? Did he die for everyone or did he just die for the elect? And so let's start, let's see, it's time to start again with the Arminians. So the Arminians then would articulate this in terms of universal atonement. Help us to understand that.
1: Right. And so I think our gut level response was, of course, Jesus died for everyone. Like, why wouldn't he? Right. Um, So the, and the Armenians would say, well, yeah, that, you know, Jesus died for the whole world, took upon himself sin for every human being throughout all time. Um, He sent Jesus to die as his predestined purpose, as we talked about previously in another episode, so that, Everyone has the opportunity to believe and therefore to be saved. and so the work of Christ is not limited to some particular group It's not limited just to those who are predestined for it uh, but, but they would say Jesus atonement, his work on the cross is really for the whole world now um, it's not it's not going to be universally effective it, that would be universalism if you say Jesus paid for everybody's sin in a way that they' they're, they're going to be saved. They're automatically going to be saved. But they say Christ's sacrifice doesn't actually save individuals, but it provides the potential for every individual to be saved. There's this universal offer of salvation, but we talked about um, how last how, how the benefits of his death are applied conditionally, they provide salvation, for everybody who responds to that offer by faith. And so there's the human will, the free will again. Um, they're, so they're saying that Jesus died for everybody on one level, but his his atonement is only applied particularly to those who respond with faith.
0: Yeah, let, I think we should pause here to make sure our listeners hear that, that the concept of universal atonement, you know, that he died for everyone, his heart was that all would be saved is not the same thing as universalism. So again, Ross, just to be clear for our listeners, what is universalism and why is that not biblical?
1: Yeah, good. That's a great clarification. Universalism is the belief that every human being will be saved, will ultimately be right with God, is gonna have a place in heaven, that our sins will be forgiven regardless of any choice that we make. And so universalism really is is not biblical because the Bible doesn't say that every human being will be saved or we will be right with God. There's still a problem of sin. The universalists would say that, you know, Jesus dealt with that by paying for sin on the cross for everybody, regardless of how we respond or regardless of what our attitude is toward him with, with faith or without it. So uh, an Arminian
0: might kind of point to Exodus 12 and the whole concept of the Passover lamb, to try to illustrate this idea of the universal atonement of Christ. Walk us through that because, again, atonement is not just a New Testament concept. It's, of course, fulfilled in Jesus, but we see the shadow of it in the Old Testament system.
1: Right. So, again, the idea is that Jesus died for everybody, but only those who will believe or accept the gospel are actually saved. And so they would say, the Passover lamb. So God was going to bring judgment on the nation of, of Egypt. See, the the a destroying angel was going to come and and slay the firstborn of every household, animal, human, everything else, to get Pharaoh's attention. And so God told Moses, "Here's what the Israelites need to do: when the ain't when the uh, when the death comes, if they take blood, take take a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, they take the blood and apply it." to the doorposts and across the top of the door of their house then that uh, home will be passed over from the from the from the death that's going to come and so so armenians would say look that was where the the blood was was had to be applied personally for the salvation to occur and so they would distinguish between the death of Christ and the application of Christ's death it only for believers. So Christ death makes salvation possible for everybody regardless. God wants everybody to be saved. He wants everyone to believe, but only those who actually do believe end up actually being cleansed and redeemed by the blood of Christ.
0: Okay, so let's take a look at some scripture once again and talk about the one the scripture that the arminians would really point to to support their view of universal atonement. And so these are the passages that are going to talk about a lot of times they're going to have the words, the world or the whole world or all people. So like John 1, 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? So an Arminian would say, they're going to underline, they're going to highlight the word world. And they're going to say, all right, that come on. That's everybody. That sounds universal. Right,
1: exactly. And you can see their point. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think the Calvinists would respond that, the the word world has a lot of uses and it may not always uh, mean everything or everybody in the world, but if they would say that it might mean, you know, people, a representative of every group in the whole world or whatever. So the Calvinist in response to this, the Arminian is just going to say, look, it says all. And the Calvinist is going to say, well, if you look at the language, all does not always mean all. And so, you know, to Arminians, that maybe seems like a dodge. To Calvinists, it seems like, oh, we're really just trying to understand what words mean and how they're used. So John 3.16 is a big one, obviously. For God so loved, here it is, the world
0: that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So same thing, Ross, that, a, mm-hmm. that an Arminian is going to underline the word world and say universal and a Calvinist is going to say, ah, ish. Ish, yeah, yeah. Or John 12, 32, Jesus, again, speaking, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So he's referring to the cross, being lifted up on the cross. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm going to draw all people to myself. I want all people to be saved. That's how uh, an Armenian would see that.
1: Right. So they'd say that there's a universal drawing of God. Not everybody's going to respond to that. That's up to their free will. But God is going to be inviting and drawing everybody toward himself so that people then uh, can do with it what they w- what they will.
0: Okay, so those were all the words of Jesus. This next one is Paul. He's writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 to 6. And Ross, this to me is probably the big, the big one that an Armenian would use. It says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So, look, he wants all people to be saved. He wants all people to come to the knowledge
1: of the truth. Right, and even more specifically, when you talk about the atonement and the limits of the atonement, he actually gave himself as a ransom for all people. That's what the the text actually says. So, again, an
0: Arminian is going to go to a Calvinist and say, how could you possibly interpret this? to mean that that God because again an Arminian would say, you're saying, Calvinists, that only that Jesus only wants some people to be saved. And this passage says clearly Jesus wants all people to be saved. And I mean, maybe I'm simplifying this argument, but how would a
1: how would an Arminian see this or how would a calvinist see this differently? Right. You're not simplifying it at all. I think um now, because to to answer this, you have to introduce some nuance, and, and Calvinists would, I think, would probably say God wants all kinds of people to be saved. He wants to save people from from in the entire tableau of humanity. He's not selecting just some Israelites or some people, you know, who are wealthy or whatever. He wants all kinds of people to be saved, um, and the Calvinists, I think, would probably try to argue that that's within the meaning of the. the the scope of that word, and they would also argue that, oh, there are other places where where there's particular salvation is, um, or a particular atonement is pointed to, and so then you have to figure out um, which verse um, has, you, know, you interpret you interpret the more obscure in light of the more clear, or you interpret the Bible in light of other passages of the Bible, so what's the starting point and who, which verses govern how you interpret other verses. Okay, a couple more verses
0: to share from the Arminian perspective. Hebrews 2 9. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste, he might taste death for everyone. Okay, so we've we've seen the world, we've seen all, and now we have Jesus tasting death for everyone. So an Arminian is going to say, ah, see universal atonement. Right.
1: Now, you will, I think there are, there is a group, a class of Calvinists that would probably call themselves, or they would call it maybe four point Calvinists. So they believe the tulip, except the L. So there are Calvinists who would say the, the biblical, the preponderance of biblical evidence for their, for their understanding would say that this, these verses, you have to take them seriously. You can't really uh, you know, find a way to reinterpret those in some other sense, and so there are Calvinists who would say that, yeah, uh, all these other total depravity, unconditional election, and all the rest, but they would hesitate to um, to believe in limited atonement; would have a more universal atonement perspective. So, uh, so a four point, a five point Calvinist believes in, t- typically, obviously
0: takes. Tulip, seriously, a four-point Calvinist usually loses
1: the L. Is that right, yeah, Ross? That's very typical for okay. those who would. You know, I don't think the majority of Calvinists are probably five points, but there is a class. There are people who say, "Look, the biblical evidence doesn't. Uh, it makes more sense to us this way." Now, uh, five-point Calvinists would say, "Look, then you're you're saying that if you don't take the L, then." your system is not consistent because they would argue the L is not only scriptural, but it also makes sense in light of the whole, the overall system of Calvinism and these other, the kind of part, the different parts kind of go together um, and create a whole thing. And um, I think the four point Calvinist might say, well, you know, the system needs to be reconsidered if it doesn't fully match what scripture says. And so, mm. But then there's, obviously, we've seen there's uh, different interpretations of Scripture and what Scriptures, um, you know, govern the interpretation of other Scriptures.
0: All right. So, because we have a couple more Scriptures, and this next one is huge. This next one, I would imagine, is where a five-point Calvinist might drop the L and become a four-point Calvinist because of verses like this. 1 John 2, two, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So right, Ross, a a five pointer might look at this and wrestle with this and say, I don't really know how to get around a verse like that. Like this sounds more universal than limited.
1: Yeah, because again, you could argue for uh, words that mean like the sins from people of the whole world, but he does make a distinction here between ours, the elect, apparently he's talking about the elect, but also others who are not us. You know the whole the, the whole world is not us and so that's where this is a stretch or a challenge maybe for Calvinists All right one more John first John 4:14 4,
0: and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world So again all these verses Ross taken together and Arminian and even a four-point Calvinist would say yep yeah, you know I think it makes more sense that the atonement was universal that Jesus did die, for the sins of the whole world, but it's only effective for those who would put their faith in Jesus, because again, universal atonement is not the same thing as universalism. So let's talk for a second now about the other side, okay? So what? So how, how exactly does a Calvinist understand? You mentioned that it seems consistent within the framework of five-point Calvinism. That's, that for the five pointers they're going to say no, it, it, it really only makes sense that limit that the atonement was limited to the elect.
1: right. And so there's there's two I think two streams of thought on that. And one stream of thought is that okay, there are verses that do talk about tr- Christ died for and it gives a particular group or particular people that do show a sense of um, this, this narrow narrowing. And then there, there also, there's also the idea that, okay, for the Cal- Calvinists would be bothered by the idea that if Christ died for the whole world and not everybody for whom he died is actually saved, then that seems to be a failure of the work of Christ. It seems to be at very least um, a waste of the work of Christ, that, that Jesus actually died for people who are not saved seems to be... Um, And the idea that then Jesus' atonement really did not accomplish what it was supposed to, or really didn't, it was not effectual, effectual, uh, fully effective, um, that it was wasted.
0: Yeah, because, again, if we go back to the sort of the overarching themes of Calvinism versus Arminianism, Calvinists are and we talked about this in week 1 and even a little bit in week 2 Ross that there's this tension that we're these these ideas that we hold in tension and the the sovereignty of god is what the calvinists are really emphasizing and and making bigger and the f- the free will of man or or i guess you could even say the love of god right because for some arminians they're like it doesn't seem very loving if god only di- if jesus only died for the elect it it seems more loving that that Jesus died for everyone; that He had everyone on His mind when He was on the cross, not just the elect. So we've got these two things that we're holding in tension. But you're saying that a so for a Calvinist, a five pointer, he's going to say it just does it makes God seem weak. It make it doesn't it takes away from the sovereignty of God to think that th- that He died for some people who rejected Him.
1: Right. Yeah. So there's this emphasis on the atonement of Christ is not merely a potential saving work, but it's actually effectively accomplished for those who are saved, everything that they need. And and I think part of that is, okay, the Calvinists would say, oh, that the atonement actually then provides a person with the faith. The faith itself is a gift of God. Faith itself is not something that we come up with, but it's a gift of God to those who are going to exercise it. And so one Calvinist writer says, were Christ to sacrifice and die for someone, and then that person did not choose to be saved, it would make Christ's work a failure. So again, God is not accomplishing what He set out to accomplish. And I think you're right; that does connect maybe to the idea of sovereignty.
0: Okay, and in a, a one of John Owen, who was a Puritan theologian, he he tried to help. He tried to explain the inconsistency in Arminian belief in one of his works, walk us through his line of reasoning when it comes to arguing for limited atonement.
1: Yeah, and I think this is thoughtful. I think it deserves to be considered. So, Owen argued, okay, Arminians believe that Christ died for all people's sins, that the atonement was for everybody. It's going to have potential to cover all their sins. He says, well, then why isn't everybody then saved? Why do some people, are they still... Condemned to God's punishment for their sin. And they are in his scenario, the Armenian's going to respond because they don't believe. So that, you know, if you're so if you're condemned and your your sin, God's atonement doesn't apply to you because you didn't believe. You didn't trust in what Jesus did. And so the, the, the Owen then asks, okay, well then, isn't unbelief a sin? The Bible seems to characterize unbelief as a sin. And so if 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 so, if you admit that it is a sin. Then when Christ died on the cross and atonement is unlimited, or, uh, it, then Christ died for that sin too. He died for, you know, the punishment of unbelief. And so then why would unbelief prevent a person from being saved? If the sin of unbelief was paid for on the cross, just like all other sins were paid. So I think Owen is saying if you understand unbelief as a sin, then then the idea of unlimited atonement should lead to universalism, as we talked about. So it's an interesting argument. I think the Arminian would have to say, well, unbelief, we're not looking at it as, as a sin. We're looking at it as a choice. Um, belief is just accepting what God has done. And unbelief, so, so it's a thoughtful, and I haven't figured out yet like how an Arminian, I haven't really seen how an Arminian would respond to that. Um, in, you know, the things I've looked at. And so, I mean, John Owen wrote in the 1600s. And so somebody ought to have probably responded to that, but I just haven't seen it.
0: Yeah. In fact, I want to just say to our listeners, if you haven't already done this, if you want to reach out to us, I know that Calvinists are probably at the, like, jumping <laughs> out of their seats as we're trying to represent Calvinist perspectives. Armenians might be doing the same thing feel free to share with us if you've got some ideas um if if you think it's helpful for our listeners share with us we can pass along anything that's helpful uh, you can reach out to us at podcast at pursuegod.org but Ross I think it's time to do our speed round for calvinists right and so when we look at bible passages that they're going to elevate when it comes to limited atonement they're going to be talking about that those verses that are talking about the focus on Jesus is saved the the definite focus on Jesus' saving work, like Matthew one twenty one, she will give birth to a son, speaking of you know, Mary, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so wait, uh, let, let me see if I, get, I can get where you're going with this. It's not all people from their sins, but his people from their sins.
1: Right. There is that particularness that Calvinists would say, okay, see, it's not just universal. It is limited in the sense that who is the who is the recipient or the benefit of Jesus' work on the cross? His people.
0: Okay, and then Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man, speaking of Jesus, didn't come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, so again, uh, we were looking at these verses that an Arminian would highlight, which use the... The term all or the whole world, but now ah, finally we have one that a Calvinist is going to really love.
1: Right, Jesus is he gave his life as a ransom for many, and the idea that you could you could understand the word many to be exclusive in some sense, like it doesn't say all. Now all is many. If you say he gave his life for a lot of people, um, that could be that, that could encompass well every every person. But the Calvinists, with their perspective would say no, many doesn't mean all. So again,
0: so then, how would an arminian how would an Arminian handle these two verses about
1: his people, not all people, and many not the whole world? yeah, I think you know, as we're going to look at some other verses that are more particular, I think the Arminian would say that this verse so gave his life as a ransom uh for many um or that he died to save his people from his people from their sins, they say. This is not exclusive. It's not saying that he died to save only his people from their sins. His people are certainly included. And the focus of the verse happens to be on Israel. Um, Jesus is a savior of Israel. So if you want to take his people then and say, oh, maybe that's just talking about Israel. Maybe he's not talking about the elect. And so I think the Arminian would probably say, just because there's a focus, the focus might be because of some other... something else in the context that the biblical author is trying to underscore, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't his people and the rest. Okay, the next one is John 10, verse 11.
0: Jesus, again, speaking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so, Ross, is is the implication
1: here that a Calvinist would
0: say, we're not all his sheep?
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. There's a relationship there. And and he only died for the ones who belong to him.
0: John 13, 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So there it is again, having loved his own. So it's right. It's this idea of this exclusive group. And of course, a Calvinist would say that he's talking
1: about the elect. Right. His own, who were in the world. So there's the world. The, you know, Armenians talk about the world. Other versions talk about the world. This is one where Calvinists say, "Look, this is this is it." Differentiates his own, you know, from from the world. They were in it, but they that doesn't include all of the world. It includes a subset of the world, and that's the ones that he loved. And so, uh, I think Calvinists would say that if we talk about the love of God. That love of God, they would say, many would say, that is not universal. That God loves the ones that He's chosen, and other human beings maybe are beyond the love of God, or God loves them in maybe a different kind of way.
0: Yeah. So, would a would a Calvinist who believes in limited atonement? This is a good question, Ross. Would would they say that God loved the whole world? Would they would they say that God loved the elect and the because again, this is what we're holding in tension, right? This is why I think some people are four-point Calvinists, is that we're trying to square this up with the idea of God's love. Again, you can talk about it in terms of His God's sovereignty versus man's choice, or you could talk about it in terms of God's sovereignty and God's love. And so does it diminish the, the love of God to think that he doesn't actually love the
1: unelect? Well, that's that's a great question. I don't know the the answer. Is it maybe maybe people feel like it does? Does God love the wicked? Um, there's places in the um, in the Bible that say that you know God hates the wicked, and meaning what? Meaning that He's opposed to or at animosity with them. So I think our categories of love and hate we need to think about them a little bit and and how how we might tend to impose on God like our idea of love or our idea of hate. But um, I, I have talked to Calvinists who who would take objection when somebody says God loves law, the lost. They would say, "Wait, wait! No, God loves the elect." And so I, I have seen I have seen that objection uh, from Calvinists. I, I'm not sure that all Calvinists would talk about that the same way. There's maybe some sense in which God loves every human being. That God provides, you know, life for every human being. God provides you know, uh, for sustenance, God loves generally by causing the, the crops to grow and the sun to shine and, and so forth. I, that might be one way that the Calvinists would think about it.
0: Well, yeah, this is where it really gets, we talked in the last episode about evangelism and how a Calvinist, a, 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 a biblical Calvinist is still going to share the gospel with people, right? Because God, God you know, generally God, Reveals himself to the elect because the gospel is shared with them. So even a Calvinist would say that. But it's interesting because here, this is where some Calvinists might do evangelism a little bit differently. Because for me personally, Ross, I share when I share Jesus with people, I typically like to start with something like Jesus loves you. Yeah. <laughs> God yeah. is good and he loves you. But yeah. you're saying that some Calvinists would feel like they couldn't, in good faith, start there. They because they don't because they might
1: not believe that God loves the the unelect. Is that true? Yeah, that could be true. I've never heard that expressed, but it does it does make sense as a logical consequence. And maybe the Calvinist is saying, you know, God loves you, and in the in their mind, they have a footnote like, if you're the <laughs> elect. I don't know. Mm. I don't know how it actually <laughs> works out, or whether they even even use that as a starting point you know i think Calvinists, maybe sometimes in calvinist evangelism they they might start with um a human need and depravity and say look mm. i know you're you, you want to you think you're a great person and god is going to let you in and whatever but let's talk more about uh what it really means uh to take sin seriously you know that's you know, the sort you of you know when- that, yeah
0: yeah I mean think about it with Jonathan Edwards right one of the one the most famous sermon of American sermon of all time sinners in the hands of an angry god he didn't he didn't start with god loves you right and he was of course a calvinist he started with you're a sinner he started essentially with total depravity right so he might even say I don't even know if I agree with modern American evangelism that you're starting with the love of God. You know, some people would argue, no, we need to start with the depravity of man, right. not with the love of
1: God. Yeah. And so there's different approaches, like uh, the impossible gospel approach is used sometimes with people who are religious. And so it's like, oh, let's talk about your assumptions about being religious and, and does it really work? Can you really measure up? And so mm-hmm. that, that's, a, that's a legitimate approach.
0: Okay, a few more verses here. Uh, our speed round is getting bogged down with all these other questions. <laughs> Acts 20, 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So this is talking about that
1: he bought particularly the church of God, not necessarily everybody. Right. Not necessarily. Now he's talking, Arminian would say, he's talking to elders of the church. And so you're called to be a shepherd and say, you're shepherding people that God bought, that Jesus bought with his own blood. So that's why it's important for you to shepherd them well, because of the price that was paid for them. So maybe contextually, it focuses in that way. Arminian might say that, He's not saying that he bought only the church with his blood, mm-hmm. but for mm-hmm. that setting where those individuals have this stewardship, then they need to remember that that these are the flock has been bought by Christ. That that might be an approach.
0: Okay, now this next verse people have heard in marriage sermons, but little did you know did you realize that this could also be used by a Calvinist to underscore limited atonement. Ephesians five twenty five: Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her,
1: not necessarily for the whole world, but Christ gave himself up for the church. Right. And so again, this is, uh, from a Calvinist point of view, this is one of the areas where uh, you take this on one side of the ledger, and you take 1 John 2, 2 on the other side of the ledger, You say, okay, how do we make sense out of these verses? Are they competing? They're not because God's word is whole. But then how do we prioritize or how do we make sense out of um, these two ideas that seem like they're going in a somewhat different direction?
0: Okay, one more verse, and this is from Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. It says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so, Ross, this is what a Calvinist would point to, probably, when they're trying to defend the Arminian use of the word world in some of those verses we looked at
1: earlier. Right. And to me, this one is more, uh, has kind of more strength behind it from the Calvinist perspective. Because Jesus, it doesn't say Jesus just died for everybody, whatever. It says, who did Jesus actually purchase by his blood? You know, in other words, for whom was, did it actually occur? Who, for whom was his salvation effective? Well, then it's, yeah, it's for, it's really, it represents the whole world. Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, you could say, well, that could be what he means when he says the whole world.
0: Maybe we can finish today, Ross, with uh, just, uh, and we'll put this in the show notes below, but just like a simple summary of unlimited atonement and limited atonement. And uh, from the two different perspectives. So in the unlimited atonement column, they would say that Christ's death achieved the potential for man to be saved. Whereas a Calvinist believing in limited atonement says Christ's death effectually saved the elect. And that word effectual, again, is pretty important for the Calvinists. Yeah. It's the idea that it he did actually did what he intended to do. And an Arminian would say Christ died for every person who ever lived, but he only saves those who believe, whereas a Calvinist would say Christ's death was only for the elect and not for the
1: entire human race. Yeah. Again, it's the question of um, the Calvinists, that you can see the idea of limitation and the idea of um, openness on both sides, so that, so that we talked about God's calling is not limited or it is limited. Then of course, then God's Jesus atonement is either limited or it's not limited. Those the limitation sense seems to go together with the idea of God's um, of God's sovereignty and God's calling.
0: And then finally, an Arminian would say Christ's death secured the potential for salvation, but did not secure faith. Whereas a Calvinist would say Christ's death secured salvation and faith. So again, for a Calvinist, it is really elevating the definitive, effective
1: work of a sovereign God. Right. It's an attempt to answer the question, why do some have faith and some not have faith? If it's just simply free will, why do some have it and some don't have it? And the answer for the Calvinist is because faith is a gift of God that's included as part of the um, the atonement of Christ for those who are chosen. All right, so there it is. That's uh, the
0: L in tulip, limited atonement for the Calvinist, and of course, universal atonement for the Arminian. We've got links below. We've got resources. If you want to talk about this with your family, your small group, or mentor, find it all online, PursueGod.org. Make sure to join us next week as we continue to dive in to the five points of Calvinism and the Arminian perspective on them. Hey listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.